This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. Good morning. How's everyone? Good. Not convinced. How is everyone? Great. All right. Well, we are moving forward on in deeper to our Down to Earth series. We're in the Gospel of John. Like KJ said, I'm the director of outreach here on campus. Uh, My name is Mark McNally. I'm on the preaching team as well. Duh, right? (laughs) And uh, the message we have today is, is a really exciting one because it connects so much with the idea of gifts and gifting, receiving a gift, giving a gift. And, and so uh, we're kind of into that season now, right? Yeah, you can nod. Yeah, we're about re- going to the shopping malls, getting the gifts. And so in preparing this message, I do like I often like to do. I go to Google, you know, Google and Wikipedia. This is where we get our information. And, and so I put in the worst gift ideas ever. And this is, this is some of my favorites that I came up with. Let's see, we got a bacon wallet. All right. If you were looking for any last-minute gift ideas for me, the only thing bacon never worked with was ice cream, in my opinion. Everything else is good. Next one, ties. Now, I picked this one because my mom used to, in the 90s, she always used to get me these horrible ties. And I know she doesn't podcast our messages here, so. Now, those smokers of you out there, this is an amazing thing. Now, they've got the smoker's mitten. You don't have to have cold hands when you go out to smoke now, if you smoke, so it's good. Her teeth looked a little too white to be a smoker, didn't it? Okay, and then we got the, uh, the vacuum for bugs. I know this is one of the, in my job description at the house, I have to kill all the, all the bugs, the spiders and things, so that could come in handy. These were all under worst gift ideas, and I actually think some of them are okay. We got the uh, neon toilet light, yeah? That's fantastic, right? Because you got the night light in the bathroom, and, and so you get in there, but then you've got an extra step, you know, you're in the middle of the night, okay. Okay, and then back in the 90s, I had a goatee, all right, I did, even the late 80s, and uh, no judgment if you still wear a goatee, it's fine, but this would have been invaluable. You put it on there, and you get a straight goatee, right? It's like a guide. That is awesome. I need one of those for, like, handlebar mustaches and stuff, too. Now we have the pet petter. During our warm-up, somebody noticed how many it says on there, how many pets per minute? 85 pets per minute. That's putting us to shame, right? We can't keep up with that. Our pets aren't even going to like us anymore. All right, now I used to wear socks and sandals, but this makes it just so much easier. You just throw the socks on. They've got a sandal design. All right. Do we have another one or is that the last one? All right, that's the last one. So the idea of gifts, we, we get gifts. Some of them were just like, thanks. Or, you know, it's hard to show a deep appreciation because we aren't deeply moved by the particular gift. Other times, we get a gift and we know what it cost the other person, right? Not just monetarily. We know they put their heart into it. We know they put some time into it. We know it's personal. When my kids give me, I have kids, they're 15, 7, and 5, when they give me gifts that I know that they put significant amount of their time and effort in, 
I tend to be more deeply moved. And in the five love languages thing by Gary Chapman, receiving gifts is one of the five, and I'm like a zero. So I am horrible at giving gifts. I, I got um, something for my wife, and I already gave it to her, and I just can't learn, right? That's, you don't give a Christmas gift before Christmas. I did it again this year. So I'm not very good at it, but here's what I know about gifts. When I receive one, and I know what it truly means to the other person, what it truly costs the other person, even I can be incredibly moved. Moved inwardly to feel this deeper connection with that person, to feel that a part of them was given to me. And so as we take that understanding of the idea of receiving and giving gifts, I've prayed all week that we would be able to open our eyes to the the reason for the season. I know that's kind of cliched, but reason for the season in that God gave us the gift of himself, the gift of his life, the gift of eternal life. He spent it all on us. Well, last week, Bob and Jason were looking at the verses right before this in John chapter one, and they really did a great job of contrasting the darkness with the light, that Jesus was the light of men, and he came in and shone into a dark world. But we're going to see a little bit more about what the dark world did in relation to Jesus. If we could show John chapter one, he came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people and even they rejected him. So you've heard of God being omnipresent, that God is everywhere. And so we understand as Christians that God has this presence that it it pervades. It's in the world. It's Jesus, when his light shone in the world, it said that the world rejected him. So, so there is this understanding that God's presence is everywhere for all to see. Even like the beauty of creation displays the glory of God. But yet there's another aspect of God's presence. We can see the light, but the light can be rejected, as we saw in John chapter 1 right there. The light of men is intended to shine its light into our lives and into our hearts and make God's presence personal. It goes from being kind of a theory, it goes from being something that is out there that we can see shining on us to something that embeds itself within us and shines there and shines out of us. This is the light that we are intended to receive. So God's presence is everywhere, but God wants his presence to be within us. Well, how does that happen? You might be asking yourself, okay, well, how do I receive this light? And in John 1, we go further into verses 12 and 13. John writes, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn. And this is not a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan. This rebirth comes from God. So later on in John's gospel, in John chapter three, there's a famous conversation between Jesus and one of the Pharisees named uh, Nicodemus. Nicodemus comes at night. Uh, It's interesting that he comes at night because he knows he probably would get in trouble for talking to Jesus if people knew about it. And so he comes and he says, you know, teacher, we know that your signs and and your wonders and your teaching is so profound. You know, what's going on with this ministry of yours? Jesus says, truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of heaven unless they be born from above or born again. This is where our phrase born again comes from. But really the literal meaning from the Greek is born from above. So Jesus 
is expanding in John chapter 3, what John is teaching here that you were born to human parents. A a passionate connection was, was made between a man and a woman, and here you sit. But yet something else needs to happen for us to enter into a relationship with God. He says that our spirit has to have a similar connection made, a conception really with God's spirit that produces a spiritual birth that gives us a new life, a new spiritual life that we did not have before. And some births, uh, how many of you are moms out there? Raise your hand. Okay, uh, how many of you had like a, an easy birthing process? You know, your children, maybe if you had multiple children, you may have had both, but how many of you had very difficult birthing processes? So what that teaches us is that when it comes to the spiritual birth, you'll hear different denominations talk about it differently. You come forward at, at the end of a, a worship service and you do the altar call thing maybe, I don't, you know, whatever. But the birthing process, when it comes to spiritual, looks different for each and every one of us. Some of us can't name the exact time and place it happened. But what we know, just as we sit here physically in the natural world, that when we come into this new spiritual life, we know. We know that we know. It may have been an easy spiritual process, us connecting to God. It may have been a very difficult one, but here we are. A conception was made and a spiritual life was born. This is what John is trying to teach us. This is what Jesus teaches us later in John 3. And when we're born, it's it's very common for us to have birthmarks. Like on your natural bodies, how many of you have birthmarks? Raise your hand. Okay, yeah, that's probably about half of the room. I had a friend in high school who had a birthmark that covered like one of his, his eyes and came down to his mouth over, over the side onto his forehead. Now he got, he got made fun of for that, but it was very distinctive. There was a distinct outward sign of the birth process. I had a birthmark, um, it's going away, I still have it actually, but it was a big old brown spot on my leg. And people would always think that mud had splattered on my leg. It was so big and it was so dark. Over the years, it's starting to fade. But, but birthmarks are an example of an outward sign that we were born into this world. And it's similar in our spiritual life. Whenever we are born from above, we bear these marks. We have birthmarks. There are spiritual birthmarks. I want to talk about one that Christians love to do. Um, A lot of Christians love to get tattoos. And Gene Taft is uh, one of our beloved longtime members here in the church. And he's got a redemptive tattoo. Now, this isn't a great picture. It was was done this morning. Um, But Bob Cassidy and I were talking about this tattoo and how amazing it is in the way that it redeems his old life. So Gene got the tattoo uh, before he became a Christian. And you can't tell, but it was a swastika. Gene, Gene was a, a, a bad man, <laughs> and so he has this swastika. He comes to faith in Christ, and he thinks to himself, okay, I'm not going to walk around anymore with a swastika on my arm. I'm going to have to do something about this. And so he overlays a tattoo of a rose. Outward, a, this is a spiritual birthmark for Gene. I have a few spiritual birthmarks um, myself. I, did, I don't have any that I need to redeem. Um, I'm not really sure why I never got a tattoo before I became a Christian, who knows? I was a mess. It could be a lot of different reasons. But when I came, became a Christian, my life verse is John chapter 3, verses, uh, or verse 30, where John the Baptist says, I must decrease, but Christ must increase. And so the first tattoo I got um, on my bicep, it's the vanity muscle, is to put right on there, decrease. And so I see people in the gym, they're like, so you're wanting to get smaller? 
no, 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 it's a spiritual thing. I'm like, I'm trying to work on vanity. I'm trying to work on pride. And, and so that's what it means. And so that's why that verse is on my bicep. And that's why it's a spiritual birthmark for me. The second one I got is an anchor. Um, I pulled that uh, Greek word from John 15, where Jesus says, abide in me and I will abide in you. Abide meaning to remain or to stay. And so that anchor for me is a symbol that when Jesus was up on the cross, that he stayed. That God stayed put for my salvation so that I could be redeemed and be in a relationship with him. And so when I look at that, I see, I see abide and I think, all right, things are going to get hard. Relationships are going to get hard. Ministry is going to get hard, but I'm, not, I'm staying put. This anchor is in Christ wherever he's called me to be. And then my final one was the uh, scroll of Isaiah 61. Jesus gets up in Luke chapter four and, and he gives this sermon right out of Isaiah 61. Um, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me because he has called me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so these are spiritual birthmarks for me. They're outward expressions of an inward change. But you see, you don't need a bunch of ink on your skin to show forth the birthmarks of spiritual life coming to you through the gift of salvation. You don't. So don't hear me say you have to go out and get tattoos to to show that you're a Christian. But what they do is they outwardly express something that has inwardly changed in my life. John Wesley is the founder of Methodism, and uh, hundreds of years ago, he preached uh, a message on the marks of the new birth. And so what I want to do is I want to walk through the four things, which happen to be the four themes of our Advent season, and I want to walk through the four marks of the new birth. He offers up that hope is one of the marks of those who have experienced the new birth. Hope. When you have been born from above, you're able to hear God's word preached. You're able to read it for yourself. You're, you're able to, to plant it in your head and then, and then not leave wondering whether God's going to follow through on what he said he would do. You have this hope that abides within you. An example recently of hope that I'd like to share with you is uh, my seven-year-old Mason um, woke up early one morning and I was having my band meeting. I have a couple of guys that come over early in the morning once a week. Band meetings are these things where three or four guys or three or four girls get together and we confess our sins and we do accountability and support, encouragement. Um, anyway, if you're interested in a band, talk to Jake. He, he is over those. Uh, but Mason comes and he peeks through the door and, and he says, Dad. And I go, oh, good morning, buddy. We're having this meeting here. Um, could you go back into your room and play, and uh, I'll come get you. And he goes, well, how long? And I go, I I didn't know, honestly. And so I go, about 20 minutes, buddy, about 20 minutes. He goes, okay. And so he walks all the way back across the house, and he goes to his room. He knocks on the door again. Guess how long it had been? And he peeks through the door, and I get up to discipline him and be firm. You know, Mason, we're having a grown-up meeting. You need to go back to your room. And before I could even get that, he goes, Daddy, I counted to 20, 60 times. Or I counted to 60, 20 times. I counted to 60, 20 times. It's been 20 minutes. And one of the guys in the room was like, can I get up and hug him? <laughs> it was so sweet. But what it did is it, it just like captivated me in this thought of, he didn't just go back to his room 
and wonder whether I was coming or even believe that I was coming. He put some action behind. He's like, okay, okay, okay. Dad said 20 minutes. That means he's coming in 20 minutes. One, two, three, four. Now he probably counted a little faster than your normal second, but so he gets to 20 and he comes. That's a lot like what hope looks like in the heart of a Christian. Okay, God said he's going to do this. Now, it doesn't mean that I just sit back and I don't do anything. But it does mean that when I take action, I know that God said that he's going to do it. And so he's going to do it. Mason's hope that he put in my 20 minutes, not on firm foundation, unfortunately, but our hope in the promises of God can be on a firm foundation. He is coming like he said that he would. The second mark of the new birth is peace. And I want to go to John chapter 16, verse 33, to give us an idea of what Jesus is talking about here. I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows, but take heart because I have overcome the world. I've noticed just in the six or seven, eight years that I've been doing spiritual leadership, the amount of just harshness and hardness and anger and tone that has kind of enveloped our culture and also our relationships. I've seen um, in my privilege of getting to lead others spiritually and plant church at the center, I've seen families torn apart. And when I kind of get underneath the surface level, I, I often find out that man, these two are horrible to each other. I mean, and they'll tell me, well, he said this, and then she said that, and I'm thinking to myself, what, and you guys are still together? This is great. But what I've started to see, and also just listening to all the political things that happened this year, and is that people are operating out of a need to to kind of be in contention with each other or to kind of be in defense of whatever it is they think they need or whatever it is they think is right. And that is born out of a, just a lack of peace. Having a peace in who we are in God. Having a peace that we have this eternal life given to us through the birth of Jesus Christ. And you know what? It doesn't mean that I, I don't have difficult things to say to my wife. It doesn't mean that I don't have hard conversations in the ministry, but it means that I don't have to treat the other person with harshness and hardness. You see, I came to faith about going on nine years ago, and um, while different sins have pervaded and popped up in my life, besides my addiction, uh, anger was one of those things that God just, bam, Um, In fact, people who met me after my conversion are surprised when I tell them stories of, I broke two cell phones, throwing them across the room. I was so mad. I used to have a business, a t-shirt business, and when I get mad, I'd go out there and I'd just start punching cardboard boxes. Just putting my fist through them. And, And I see in so many, even people in the church, I see so many people living with this underlying, like, anger just almost ready to fire off. And I know the answer, the antidote to to that is peace. And the mark of the new birth in peace is that we can have that whenever a, a difficult situation or difficult relationship comes into our life. Joy is the third mark of the new birth. 
And in Luke chapter two, I love the scene where the angels are singing at the birth of Christ. We know about the star and, and we know about the celebration that, that happened in heaven when, when God became a baby, when God chose to become a vulnerable child. I can, I can tell, um, I don't know about those of you that have followed God for a while and, and, and you leave uh, your worship experience on Sunday and, and then you hit Sunday afternoon and your football team loses and, and you, know, you hit Monday and you don't feel like going to work. And man, I don't know about you, but it doesn't take long for me to lose that joy that I had when I was with other believers worshiping God. And a way that I try to, to grab back a hold of that is personal worship. How many of you, raise your hand if you listen to worship music Monday through Saturday. Okay, pretty decent amount. When I don't, when I, I just start consuming Netflix and, and other things on the radio or TV or, you know, veg on Facebook or whatever it might be, I find this joy just like leaking. If you could have a spiritual leak, like imagine just the joy is leaking out of me. And I need to reconnect with God. This, the mark of a spiritual birth is that we have this joy. And that that joy isn't based on circumstances. It's unconditional. I would love to, I would love to walk into that kind of a life of joy. And I'm in the ministry, and so I can only imagine how many people have this experience with God, and then maybe a little bit longer, they have another experience with God. And then, but when it comes right down to it, I and mean, all of the difficulties in life, then they, their Christianity looks like more like something that they believed, and then they've kind of put it on the shelf. Okay, yeah, I, you know, the check mark. Okay, yeah, I'm a believer. I, I go to church. I was baptized. I was. None of those are marks of the new birth, by the way. Church attendance, good works. Bible studies, not marks of the new birth. But joy is a mark of the new birth. I love that our faith offers us something that, something that doesn't get old. It's the gift that keeps giving the whole year, Clark. It's a Christmas vacation reference there. That was the jelly of the month club, all right? But no, no, Jesus is the gift that keeps giving the whole year, after year, after year, after year. And when I see people who are um, backsliding, whatever you want to call it, people that are walking away from the church, people that are stepping away from God, people that are going back into their old patterns of life, I'm like, so did the gospel get old? It had to have. This message that you are loved by God, regardless of what you've done, what you are doing, that God loves you and he wants a relationship with you. That's not only the gift that keeps giving the whole year round, that doesn't get old when you truly grab a hold of what it means to your inner life. It should never, ever, ever, ever get old. It's not a spiritual concept you can put on the shelf. It's something that you rest in and you remember and you rejoice in over and over and over again. In 1 Peter 1.12, I'm just amazed by this verse. It, it says, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but it says that even the angels continually long or look into the gospel. 
you would think that the angels are just up there with their clipboard. Okay, now God, you said, all right, now I'll go do that. And uh, okay, yeah, I need to go protect this person. So they're just kind of the angels are, I don't know if you, I don't, have you ever thought about what the angels do? I have too much free time on my hand, right? <laughs> Starbucks for life kind of life. I'm just sitting there thinking about what the angels do. But, you know, I'm thinking the angels, what are they up there doing? The Bible says in 1 Peter, they are longing. They are continually looking into and being amazed by the gospel. And they live in eternity, and they've seen it all happen, and yet they're up there going, he did what? You've got to be kidding me. That is amazing. Let's, let's sing about it. Let's, the angels are longing to look into the gospel. The fourth and final mark of the new birth we're going to look at today is love. In 1 Corinthians 13, uh, Paul finishes that famous chapter up by saying, and faith, hope, and love remain, but the greatest of these is love. So what that means is when we enter into heaven, when we enter into God's presence and we leave this life and enter into eternity, we won't need faith anymore. What will we need faith for? We're going to be right there standing with God and before God. We won't need hope anymore. Everything will be fully fulfilled and completed at that moment. We will no longer need hope, but we will need love and we will have love and it will never run out. And when we get the new birth, when we get the down payment, we don't fully experience heaven yet, but when we get that down payment in this world, we get to now take that love that's been given to us and spread it to others. I love to say that I love to give the, the visual imagery of those that think that they have a vertical love going on with God. Yeah, yeah, I love God, okay, but you don't love your neighbors? John would say in First John, he would say, then you don't truly love God. Because you cannot love vertically without loving horizontally. The love of God through the mark of the new birth is that we love other people. We love our friends, we love our family, we love our neighbors, and thanks for this teaching, Jesus, we love even our enemies. It doesn't mean we agree with them, it doesn't mean that we have close fellowship with them, but we love them. We deeply look out over a hurting, broken, and dark world, and we grieve over the brokenness, and we don't judge it. And we have a burden for it, and we engage the darkness with the light of Christ. So does your, does your life bear the marks of the new birth? Like when, when you look at your life, do you see this way down deep, like unshakable evidences of hope, of peace, of joy, and of love? This is available to every single person in the room today. In fact, it's a message that a child can understand. Have you ever heard that? That uh, Jesus actually said, you have to become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. The gospel, I've heard people respond to my presentation of the gospel and they, they will say, that sounds too good to be true slash simple. That sounds really simple. And the fact is, the gospel receiving the gift of salvation, becoming a child of God is that simple. But it is incredibly difficult. It is intensely self-sacrificial and brutally hard. 
Because when we become a child of God, we get a new father. We get a new father, that means we have a new boss. Somebody in our spiritual life that gets to look in deep down inside our heart gets to say, no, that's not right. We need to change there. No, that's, okay, great, well done, good and faithful servant. We place ourselves under this new father as a child of him. We become obedient. And obedience isn't easy. But I don't know which among us would say that we don't long, even though it's going to be hard to let go of the old life over the lordship of our life. I don't know how many of us would say, even mark on a secret ballot, I don't want a life of hope, peace, joy, and love. We all do. We all long for that kind of life. Well, I want to close this out with um, where Paul kind of touches on this idea of a gift from Ephesians chapter 2. Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It is by grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It is the gift of God. Think about your Christmas tree right now and all of those gifts under your Christmas tree. Now forget about them. The gift that you're being offered by God today, if you aren't a follower of Jesus, is to become his child, to live in eternity with him. If you're already a child of God, the offer on the table for you today is to live into the marks of the new birth, to outwardly express a life filled with hope, peace, joy, and love. Will you pray with me? God, we would ask you today that you would enter into every heart and mind into this room as we take a look into our own lives and our relationship with you. We pray that your spirit would help draw us to let go of the things we need to let go of, to take on the things that you're calling us to. And most of all, and most importantly, believe that the gift of your son is the greatest gift in human history and one that, that isn't just a story during a season of the year, but a salvation experience for each and every one of us. Come in power. Bring your presence into this place as we worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.